Hey guys, it's Gracie and Abby. Before we start the show, we wanted to give a shout out to the Ghoul Gang Podcast. They're sisters who love all things spooky, and every week they bring you funny stories of scary things. And if you're into ghosts and haunted houses and creepy experiences and having a laugh, this podcast <laughs> is for you. Yes, we've been binging their episodes. We love them so much. We especially love the one that they did about hereditary oh because... God. We were also just as traumatized. <laughs> so you guys are awesome. Keep up the good work and definitely check them out. You can listen to all of their episodes at www.theghoulgangpodcast.com. Check it out. This episode of Good Morning Nancy contains discussions on sex, extreme violence, and miscarriage. It's not intended for all audiences. So, listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. Abby and I have been friends since the day she was born. We both love drinking coffee and talking about our favorite horror movies together. You can find our episodes, blog posts, and merch by going over to goodmorningnancy.com. We work really hard on these episodes and do a lot of research. Show us how much you appreciate our work and head on over to our Patreon page. Just $1 a month is so incredibly helpful. So check out patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy. Remember, that's morning with an O-U. Okay, so I just want to note that this episode is filled with quotes and themes and sciencey stuff <laughs> from very well-written research articles and books that were not written by Abby and I. Definitely not. So... <laughs> Please check our show notes for links and references. Mm -hmm. uh, this episode also contains sensitive material about disability. And with Abby and I both being able-bodied people, we'll be separating ourselves from some of the subjects. And it's not that we don't want to discuss it. It's that we feel that it's important that we don't speak for others. Right. Okay. So with that said, let's get this morning started. Today we'll be talking about MGM's most controversial horror film, Freaks. It was helmed by Dracula director Todd Browning in 1932. The film stars Olga Beklnova, Harry Earls, Wallace Ford, Henry Victor, Daisy Earls, and many famous sideshow performers, including, but not limited to, Johnny Eck, a.k.a. the half-boy, Daisy and Violet Hilton, a.k.a. the Siamese Twins, and Prince Randian, a.k.a. the Living Torso. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about a little bit about the history and production of this film. Uh, when Todd Browning was a young teen, he ran away from his family in Louisville, Kentucky, to join a traveling circus. Oh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> so while in the circus, he was known as the Living Hypnotic Corpse. Wow. And was buried and then unearthed every night with only milk malt balls to keep him nourished and a small ventilation window to keep him breathing. <laughs> what? Wait, milk malt balls? Yeah, that's all like they... Like those little candies? Mm -hmm. That's all they gave him to, you know, eat while he was underground for hours and hours. <laughs> I mean, they are delicious, but... Yikes. But not nutritious. <laughs> So he actually played this role up until the traveling circus was in Madison, Indiana, where the authorities busted the circus and charged them $14.07 for violating the Sabbath. God, just frickin' robbing them blind. <laughs> <laughs> so because of his success as the director of Dracula for Universal Studios, he was given considerable leeway for MGM's first horror film. <laughs> And this and the fact that he was working during pre-code Hollywood. Is this before like all of the regulations and yeah, ethics? Listen up. So pre-code <laughs> pre Hollywood refers to the brief era 
in the American film industry between the widespread adoption of sound in pictures in 1929 and the enforcement of the Motion Picture Production Code censorship guidelines known as the Hayes Code in mid-1934. As a result, films during this time period included depictions of sexual innuendo, (laughs) miscegenation, profanity, illegal drug use, infidelity, abortion, intense violence, and homosexuality. Wow. Yeah, so if you're into looking at some crazy films that were only during like a four-year period in America, look for the pre-code films between 1929 and 1934. Freaks is one of them. That is friggin' wild. Yeah. So Freaks began principal photography in October of 1931 and was completed in December of that year. Hmm. Following disastrous test screenings in January of 1932 in which one woman apparently ran down the aisle of the theater screaming, while another woman threatened to sue MGM, claiming the film had caused her to suffer a miscarriage. Whoa. The film went through extensive edits and reshoots. That's like The Exorcist. Yeah. So uh, the woman who had the miscarriage, they actually can't prove it. So it's like an alleged-like problem. And a lot of people thought it might have been a publicity stunt. I was just going to say that. Um, but anyway, it Yikes. caused an uproar and people were like, yo, this movie is whack. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they said in 1932. Hey, yo, this movie is whack. <laughs> you got to fix it, see? Oh my God. <laughs> so the film was actually 90 minutes long and they cut it down to 64 minutes. Mm. So actually it was similar to Frankenstein was yeah. longer and then they cut a lot of that out. Wow. The original film no longer exists. So Irving Thalberg, who was the, you know, Wonder Boy producer at MGM, he even tried renaming the film to Nature's Mistakes, which is not okay. Uh, I feel like that's worse. (laughs) Yeah. And reissued it with publicity that asked, um, quote, what sex is the half man, half woman? Oh, dear. And do Siamese twins make love? It's just not okay. Ay, ay, ay. So he was sort of like reissuing it as an exploitation film rather than a horror film. Yeah. Uh, It still didn't work, obviously. (laughs) Even with all the edits and reshoots and renaming, the film was still negatively received by audiences in the U.S. and it was banned in the U.K. for 30 years. Negatively received for treating humans like garbage? (laughs) You don't say. So this film inevitably ruined Todd Browning's very short career. Mm. Freaks, even with all of its edits, is still one of the most disturbing films in the world. A review from the Weekly Harrison's Reports wrote that, quote, anyone who considers this entertainment should be placed in the pathological ward in some hospital. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So with that said, Abby, could you please remind us all of the plot of Freaks? Oh, yes, of course. So this film is the story of the trials and tribulations of these so-called, quote unquote, freaks Mm -hmm. um, in a traveling sideshow. And these are people with physical deformities or handicaps and people view them as entertainment. While there are many characters and stories within the plot, the film really focuses on the relationship between Hans and Cleopatra. She's a trapeze swinger in this traveling sideshow, and she discovers that Hans is going to inherit a fortune, basically. So she sees him as kind of like a money opportunity and pretends to fall in love with him, marries him, and attempts to poison him so that she can get his inheritance money. Um, However, Hans, he knows what's going on. So um, he discovers her plot to kill him, basically, and pretends to be getting sick as she tries to poison him. Um, But he kind of thwarts her plans, and the group of freaks turn on her and attack her one night, and they turn her into a bird woman. (laughs) So she, by the end of the film, she's like a half duck, half woman. 
and it's really creepy. So the film closes with Hans reuniting with the rest of the freaks, um, and he's like living in this big mansion by himself, and he feels kind of ashamed for what he did because he was engaged to another woman and ended up leaving this poor oh my gosh her name is Frida and she loves Hans so much so she comes back to him at the end of the film and they end up kind of making up and getting back together but that's pretty much the plot of the film I mean it's really short so yeah, the film is a little bit over an hour long yeah and the first I want to say the first 30 minutes is just everyday life for yeah. everyone, which yeah. we're going to be talking about in a little bit. But yeah, it's a really very simple film. Yeah, it is. So the Bechdel test. Uh, no, it doesn't pass. Although there are a lot of women in this film mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they do talk to each other often. They're all talking about men. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting because I'm almost not mad, though, about it because mm-hmm. this was 1932 And even though all of the women in this were talking about men to each other, the fact that, you know, that they show that um, people with disabilities can have love lives, I think is really important. Uh, Again, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but that's my justification of it. Okay, so Nancy's dream team test. One, was the supporting cast at least 50% women? I think this is the first time I'm saying yes. Actually, the majority of this cast is women. And it's one of the oldest films that we'll probably talk about. Absolutely. I counted 14 women and 11 men in this film. Wow. Who were credited. And I did some research on Josephine Joseph, who is the quote-unquote half-man, half-woman character. And I wanted to see how she identified herself. Mm -hmm. And it turns out she did identify as a woman. Wow. So she's, yeah. Uh, So two, did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? No. Three, was the final girl a person of color? Okay, so there really isn't a final girl in this film. Uh, Yeah. This film came out before the final girl was even a trope at all for Mm -hmm. horror films, I think. So uh, there was no final girl in the first place but there were two people of color in this film though uh prince randian who plays the living torso and he does have a small speaking role and an unnamed little person four were there any openly lgbtq characters in the film uh not to my knowledge the only thing i can think of is the scene where josephine joseph walks by hercules and something is mentioned about like oh she likes you kind of thing. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. Okay, so Freaks resurfaced a full 30 years later at the Cannes Film Festival, where it was described as a surreal masterpiece. So this was in the 60s that it came back. Wow. Yes. And it since has been credited with influencing Fellini, especially for his film La Strada, Andy Warhol's films, and Igmar Bergman's film uh, The Naked Night, and among other people, too. And according to American writer and activist Susan Sontag, she said, quote, Freaks went public and became a safe, approved subject of art, unquote. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, Abby, uh, I found some articles about 
the movie Freaks and Freud's perspective on the body and ego. Mm -hmm. Could you sort of elaborate on that maybe? Yeah. So Freud said that we have these three categories according to personality. So we have our id, who is the dark side of us. It's kind of like the shadow self that we talked about. Um, Young's shadow self? Yep. Okay. Um, so that controls kind of like your aggression and your sexual impulses and that kind of thing and kind of all of your like dark desires. And then you have your superego, which is all of the goodness and it kind of keeps your id in check. And then you have your ego, which is yourself. It's kind of the middle ground and you're a little bit of both. So according to the article that you sent me... Yeah, it's an article by Bernard Herzogenrath. That's a wow. million-dollar name. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, and it's his essay called Join the United Mutations. And yeah, he talks about how, as Freud has shown, the agency and formation of the ego reveal a close complicity with the notion of the body. For Freud, the ego is first and foremost a bodily ego the projection of a surface, mm -hmm. the human being's sense of identity, its ego is closely linked to bodily experience. Do you think that this might be why able-bodied people were so, pardon the pun, but freaked out yeah. by freaks? <laughs> you and your dad jokes. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I think so, because you're ego is it's basically your sense of self and it's how you present yourself to the world right and so if, if you see it uh fragmented i think was a word that they yeah. used if you yeah. see it like not whole or or in a way that is uh seems not whole to you that it might kind of make you upset yeah definitely and also kind of going back to that whole shadow self thing and like jungian psychology it has a lot to do with the id and the shadow self. Um, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people think or they associate those type of people with the id and the shadow self. And they maybe are a little bit uncomfortable that those people are comfortable with themselves and their own ego. So I think that really speaks a lot about how people are in general and how out of touch some people are with that shadow self or mm -hmm. with that id part of their personality. It's like the dark part that they don't want to approach or talk about. Wow. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. Yeah. And I'm just thinking now, like, carnivals in general can sort of be like I'm thinking of like those mirrors that sort of like distort mm -hmm. your body mm -hmm. and I just think like like the theme of a carnival and sideshows is sort of has that theme of like fragmentation and sort of being surrounded by horrifying versions of ourselves and maybe that sort of like reflects what's happening on the inside and yeah. what's happening to yeah it's so. well it's kind of like an escape it's a form mm -hmm. of entertainment that's an escape from everyday life that can sometimes be really frightening for people. Yeah, that's interesting. And Herzogenrath also said uh, Freaks itself, the film, was mutilated, cut, censored uh, because of its obvious opposition to wholeness and unity, which brings us to what was actually removed from the <laughs> film Freaks. <laughs> There was a lot removed, apparently. There was like 30 minutes removed. Yeah. Okay, so as we mentioned earlier, there was a lot of scenes removed from the film, including much of the ending. So Cleo, Cleopatra, is racing through the mud, and this is when all the characters are chasing after her, uh, and a tree falls on her. This is all cut. This is all cut tree falls on her and it traps her and the sideshow characters attack her with knives and they mutilate her Yikes. so we actually see the mutilation process and uh, i can't remember if the tree and i don't know if people know this for sure but i can't remember if the tree actually was the thing that cut her in half or if it just trapped her and then they cut her in half either way she her legs gone <laughs> So this scene, I assume, was just way too graphic, and yeah. that's why it was cut. Another scene was uh, a scene that sort of explained what happened to the character Hercules, which is Cleopatra's boyfriend, who is also an evil character. So uh, I think, uh, from what I recall in the film, 
he's just seen as the um, characters are like crawling through the mud coming after him and he's like has like a knife in his side mm-hmm. uh, they actually castrate him yeah and Yikes. yes so that happens and at the end of the f- end end where we see cleopatra as the chicken lady um we actually also see hercules singing soprano yeah yikes to you know show that he's been castrated yeah it's so so many wrong things so many wrong things (laughs) and you know a lot of things that were cut in the middle were sort of more of what the sideshow characters were doing Mm -hmm. so like they you know, in the film, like the first 30 minutes of this film is them just talking about their love lives and eating dinner together and, you know, talking about whatever. And a it's lo- like watching a reality show. Sort of, actually. Yeah, because most of the things that they were doing was not like their performance. It was just them living their lives. And right. Like, again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, a lot of that was cut. Wow. So... Let's talk a little bit about Freaks as a cult film. So cult movies are sort of a lightning in a bottle, right? They are a one-time only circumstance of story, director, cast, crew, location, and budget that defies original intentions and transmutes into something unforgettable, unrepeatable, and unsurpassable. So the cult viewer demographic is um, it's primarily white males. They're middle class, most of them, and they're moderately well-educated and roughly between the ages of 15 and 30. Unlike some working class members of the counterculture, cultists typically have enough economic and cultural capital to consume and appreciate films as aesthetically, quote unquote, discerning. So albeit channeling their capital for subcultural purpose. Hmm. This is from an article by David Church, and he also says about cultists, assuming that freakery will offend normative tastes and thereby transgress middle class conformity, many cultists therefore champion freakish imagery to symbolize their subcultural differentiation uh, from normal cinema goers. So basically, it's sort of like, I guess going back to Freud, it's like their kind of release. Yeah. And films like Freaks and, I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show is another cult film. You know, these films that sort of make you feel like you can do and say weird things because in your, you know, middle class life, you Mm -hmm. can't do this stuff. So I think that's kind of interesting. And that's sort of what happened to this film is that it became a cult a cult film that's so wild yeah and so i want to hear what you guys have to say like what do you think about you know freaks as a cult film let us know and this sort of bleeds into freaks as an exploitation film which is different uh some exploitation films can be cult films though so let's sort of talk about not really the difference but like what that means to be an exploitive film to some extent the portrayal of disability in film can always be accused of making disability into a spectacle Mm -hmm. the viewer will always be placed outside beyond the screen acting as a silent voyeur into the film's world however this could only be avoided by avoiding the portrayal of disability entirely compounding the problem yeah So let me know what you guys think of that statement. Uh, Some feel that the film is exploitive even in the way that the camera moves around the characters and freaks. In David Church's article, which is called Freakery Cult Films and the Problem with Ambivalence, he says again, quote, freakish outside characters are usually displayed in close up or character shots occupying a central position in the frame. He's talking about like those scenes where there's a random character on the side in Freaks and they're just sort of talking about like, oh, did you see my act today? And did you do this today? Are we going to do that tomorrow? And they're just saying stupid plot failing stuff like none of this moves the plot forward at all. Right. And we don't actually see really this person talking to to the character that they're focusing on. Uh, For example, Frances O'Connor, who plays the armless woman. She is listening to this guy just jibber jabber on and on. And she's sitting there and she's eating with her. She's had her. She doesn't have arms. Right. So she has her foot and she's using her foot to like put food in her mouth. Like Mm -hmm. she's holding a fork and everything. And then she takes her foot and she like drinks from a glass. 
And this whole time, this guy is just saying stupid stuff, and we're watching her the whole right. time. Yeah. Uh, same with Prince Randian. While he's uh, lighting a cigarette, he has no arms or legs. And it's amazing stuff, and it's phenomenal to see, but I can see how he thinks that, like, this is sort of exploitive because instead of having them, like, in the scene with the other person talking and having like an actual scene together the scene is focused on the sideshow character yeah yeah so it's a it's sort of it's shocking and it's it's really amazing but it's sort of exploitive in the way that it's filmed uh i also want to mention how harry earls though the character uh hans uh the actor plays hans he enjoyed working in movies but he knew that there wasn't many roles out there for an actor his size Mm -hmm. so he's the one that actually brought uh, todd browning's attention to the short story spurs by todd robbins which is what this film is based on Mm -hmm. and it's basically a very similar plot you know very tall woman tricks a very small man into marrying her blah 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 so he's the one actually picked the film really so it's actually kind of interesting because there's sort of this divide where it's like this film is is exploitive and then it's like but this film also gave jobs yeah it's kind of unfortunate though because it's that whole like you gotta take what you can get kind of thing it's it really is like cut straight in the middle and there's a great interview for the freaks documentary where they interview a little person named Mark Pivinelli, and he's an actor. And he says in the documentary, quote, there is a sense of voyeurism, and I can't pretend that I am not compelled to watch people who are completely different from me. Yeah. In terms of exploitation, he goes on to say, quote, I think you have to be very careful to limit it to the individual. And when the individual feels like they are being used and feels uncomfortable about what they are doing, then that's exploitive. Yeah. And then he says, I think society has to be very careful about deciding for others what is harmful to the individual. Mm-hmm. So, guys, let us know what you think. Um, that's what Mark Pivanelli said about the show Freaks or the movie Freaks. So, yeah, let us know if you agree with that. Man, you can extend that to so many things, though. Absolutely can. Between like child actors to like porn actors and actresses at like you can exploit anything. So so interesting. Guys, let us know what you think about that because it really is an interesting subject. Okay, so let's talk about freaks and sex. (laughs) Freaks as in the title of the film. Yeah. So Freaks, the film, gets some stuff wrong about disability. But one thing that it does do is that it doesn't shy away from sexual activity. And Freaks rightly fails to fill the traditional sexual codes that usually govern portrayals of disability in most films, even today. Yeah. You know, for instance, a lot of disabled people in the movie Freaks are not shown as helpless asexuals. Yeah. They have lives. And I mean, let's talk about daisy and violet the conjoined twins they are both engaged by the end of the film Mm -hmm. and hans and frida who are both little people are engaged to each other and the film implies by the end they do eventually get married and angelo rosito's character uh, he's a little person and he in the film is married to a armless woman and olga Roderick, who plays the bearded lady is married to peter robinson's character who's the human skeleton Mm -hmm. and they even have a child together in the film yeah so you know they don't shy away from showing that people with disability can have normal sexual lives a lot of people do praise it for showing that at least yeah they show it in a way that's like this is just their everyday life i feel like it's safe to say that they normalize it Absolutely. You know, let's talk a, a little bit about the women and freaks. So according to Bitch Flicks, quote, the cast of freaks includes some bona fide female sideshow stars, women who projected glamorous images of considerable wattage, despite being born different, unquote. <laughs> I love that. Yes. So um, a little bit about Daisy Earls, who plays Frida. She was a German immigrant and the younger sister of Harry Earls, who plays Hans. Both of them were members of their family's quartet, the Dahl family. And throughout her extensive career with Barnum and Bailey and the Ringling Brothers, as well as her film and vaudeville career, she was sometimes billed as the miniature Mae West. 
Aw. Uh, so then let's talk a little bit about Daisy and Violet Hilton, who are the twins, the conjoined twins. They were reluctantly put on display in sideshows when they were children. Yeah. They toured the United States uh, sideshow Europe uh, vaudeville and American burlesque circuits in the 1920s and 1930s. They were best known for their appearance in Freaks. But they were also known to be in the exploitation film Chained for Life, which starred them. Mm-hmm. So Freaks was a major part of their lives because before that, the twins were basically enslaved by their guardians. Yeah. And Freaks was the beginning of their new life away from them. So it was actually a very positive experience for them. Yeah, their story is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, they have a, there's a few documentaries uh, that talk about conjoined twins that they are in. Mm-hmm. They're really great. They're really talented very sweet people yeah so olga roderick who plays the bearded lady was an american who worked in the circus uh sideshows she worked in dime museums and carnivals apart from her role as the bearded lady in these uh different circuses she was also a trapeze artist and a commercial photographer oh and freaks was her only film role and she openly hated it Oh. She felt like the film looked down upon people who were considered different. Oh. Uh, Frances O'Connor, who was the armless woman, was an American entertainer, born without arms. She made her living appearing in circus sideshows, billed as the armless wonder or the living Venus de Milo. Oh, that name's pretty great, actually. Yeah. She worked firstly with AIG Circus, and then from the mid-1920s to the mid-1940s, she worked with the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey. And then the last character I'd like to talk about is Cuckoo, the bird girl, and she was born Minnie Woosley, and little is known about her early life, only that she was rescued, quote-unquote rescued, from a mental asylum. Oh, Yes, she had an extensive career in sideshow performance with the Ringling Brothers. A historically accurate one-woman show was also created about her a few years later called Cuckoo the Bird. And the one-woman show mentions troubling subjects such as compulsory sterilization and anti-marriage laws for disabled women during Minnie's lifetime. Oh my god. Okay, so finally we're going to get to freaks in everyday life. While the able-bodied people like Hercules and Cleopatra are both shown performing within the context of the film, the audience views the disabled members of the circus only in the -the behind-the-scenes mode. Hmm. So they don't actually see them perform. And the only time I think you see anything close to that is when Frida is on her little horse and she's about to go on stage. Yeah, that is true. Holy yeah. crap, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so you don't actually see any of them perform in a sense. Like, any performing that they do is right off stage. Yeah. Minnie, who plays Cuckoo the Bird Girl, she's dancing on the table at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but she's dancing for her friends. She's not dancing. Right, yeah. Like, I feel like Browning turned the popular convention of horror, like that whole like it being a spectacle, and he kind of turned it around. Yeah, almost. Yeah, he for I mean, this was like one of the first films to show anything like this, but I think since it's it's like the ordinary and apparently normal, which is horrifying. Yeah, like Cleopatra and freaking Hercules are socially considered beautiful. But their evil is unseen. It's underneath. Yeah. It is interesting because the people who are so-called not normal are actually more wholesome and more of a family. And it's... I feel like that's kind of a, a positive to this movie was that, you know, it showed that these were people with feelings and they were able to have relationships and kind of build this community out of being socially i guess outcasts yes and so they kind of like turned it on its head really yes and that that bleeds into perfectly to the google gobble one of us scene Mm. okay so though a prevailing theme in hollywood films is the disabled person as either a violent criminal or an essentially good person who seeks revenge on behalf of the other able-bodied characters Freaks avoids both stereotypes pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film allows the disabled community to avenge themselves 
after Cleopatra and Hercules plot to murder Hans for his fortune. Mm-hmm. So really what they're doing is sort of like a middle moral ground. Yeah. Where it's like it's not good to kill or not. I guess they don't kill them. It's not good to mutilate people. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> listen, l- like you didn't accept our cup. Like there's so much spiritual undertones to that cup. And yeah. she just throws it in Angelo's face and it hits some of the other people too. And she like denies the community. Yeah. And what's really interesting about that is that there are, there's a sword swallower and a fire eater who are, appear to be relatively quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. They are in this group of people. Right. I can only assume that everybody eventually goes through this ritual yeah where they all drink from the cup and they're all the same and i mean we don't see it happen to venus and fosco i think is his name is the other clown Mm -hmm. i don't ever see them do it but i assume that they're a part of this community because of the way that they interact with everybody else where if you look at hercules and some of the other clowns and um cleopatra they like make fun of them and despise them and I just assume that they aren't a part of this ritual. Right. So, I mean, and so when she denies that very spiritual cup of becoming one, right, one of us, it's like, well, we can't have you here then. Yeah. If you're not going to willfully do it, then we're going to make you do it. Yes. What do you think about that? I think it's terrifying, <laughs> personally, because... I don't know. I kind of get nervous about like ritual initiations in general anyway. Mm -hmm. So watching it happen was like, (sighs) I was really uncomfortable. But I also think that it's a literal like physical manifestation of that whole thing we just talked about with the Freudian theory of the id, the ego and the superego and keeping everything in balance and everything in check. And So that whole, like, ritual scene was that happening literally in front of you. And then she's just like, nah. Yeah, she's like, So she denies her own growth, maybe, to becoming a better person. Yeah. But then you have the superego that kept her in check by turning her into a bird woman. (laughs) So. Yes. And kind of was like, okay, well, this is what you want your physical body to portray. But since you're kind of a garbage person, you're going to learn today kind of thing. That, uh, I don't know. It didn't sit well with me, though, because it's, it was, oh, man. Well, first of all, Google Gobble isn't a real word. And no. sometimes hearing words that are just repeated over and over that don't that aren't recognizable mm-hmm. are eh, a little strange. And that was one of the things that kind of like turned me off from that scene. When I first saw it years and years ago, I was just like, what is happening? It kind of felt like it felt like a, a, that kind of ritual. Like you were drinking from a chalice of like blood or something mm-hmm. like to be initiated into. Right. You know, and it, it was creepy. I mean, like, yeah. And like you said, the jumbling of words, it felt like um, you know, like in possession movies when you hear people just like spewing random things. Yes. It's so unsettling. You know, that scene doesn't so much bother me as much as the scene after. And I like my heart breaks and my stomach becomes nauseous oh you mean with cleopatra and hercules and putting hans on her shoulder and riding him around like he's a child oh my god i had i'm like like about to tear up now because that scene is horrific and i also had like secondhand embarrassment yeah it's like watching drunk people in a bar making a fool of themselves at the expense of someone else like yeah it's almost worse because this is somebody who goes through life in a very different way. And yes, yes. It, like, I'm so emotional right now. I'm trying Aww. not to cry. But it's so sad. It's really sad. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, my God, leave him alone. Like, I he's know. a guy. Like, I think um, that actor appeared in uh, The Wizard of Oz as one of the munchkins. Oh, yeah. And okay. he was 40, I think, in that film, which wasn't that much 
longer after this so he must have been his mid-30s I think yeah during this film so you know and it's just like he's not a child he's not a baby Mm -hmm. like he is an adult and so it's just so so sad and embarrassing well in the scene too where he's talking to her in the wagon about her turning their wedding into a joke Mm. that like hit me hard because I was like that's he is so deeply infatuated and in love with Cleopatra and she just like throws it out the window like she yeah she is the most inhuman of all the characters exactly and that's that's all it boils down to Listen, at the beginning of the film, which actually was an added piece, having the carnival barker is what they're called. Somebody who's like, come on, come all that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he says in the beginning, uh, you'll laugh at them, shudder at them. And yet, but for the accident of birth, you might be even as they are. And when I first heard that, you know, you think like, OK, he's talking about the sideshow characters. And then I thought, ooh, that could easily be switched around and could mean like the people like Cleopatra and Hercules Mm -hmm. you know you'll laugh at them okay you'll shudder at them and yet but for the accident of birth you might even be as they are Mm -hmm. you might even be a piece of crap like them (laughs) and I was just like a trash person (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly and I just think that that's um that's pretty powerful stuff Mm -hmm. final thought I saw online that it said that freaks is widely considered a horror subgenre of one. Hmm. Which sort of means like there was nothing like it before mm-hmm. and there has been nothing like it after. What do we think about this? Well, if we're talking in terms of like film history, it was the beginning of a new era for filmmaking because you went from silent pictures to talking pictures Mm -hmm. and I could be wrong here and I there are so many films that exist in the world but I feel as though motion pictures were kind of surfacey they weren't really super deep and they were Mm -hmm. meant as a way to escape and entertain yourself so you didn't have to really think too hard about them um, I would say that the only film that I can think of off the top of my head that predates this one is The Man Who Smiled, mm-hmm. which is a silent film. And that one was based on a book by Victor Hugo, and it was the same gentleman who wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And it's about a character who I believe he is born with a constant smile on his face. Mm. That movie's pretty frightening mm-hmm. because he's angry, he's sad in some scenes, and he is constantly smiling, mm-hmm. and it's very unnerving. And there's a lot of undertones, like very intellectual undertones to that film. That would be the only one I can think of that predates yeah. this one. And again, I mean, I've seen a handful of silent pictures, so I am not an authority by any means. This mm-hmm. is just coming from me and what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um I think Freaks was kind of that turning point where it made people uncomfortable because they really had to think about society and the structure of it. And they were like, oh, I have to think about how I make other humans feel and I don't like it. Freaks sort of denied people the safe assurance that what was on screen was fake. Mm-hmm. Even um, Stephen King said in his book, Dance Macabre, he said, um, we may only feel really comfortable with horror as long as we can see the zipper running up the monster's back mm-hmm. when we understand we are not playing for keepsies. And this film was sort of like, this is actually real life. You yeah. probably go to these carnivals and see these people perform, but you only see them with that sort of eye you never see what they do behind the scenes and I think people felt a little guilty about it well it has to do a lot with like cognitive dissonance and distancing yourself from an uncomfortable situation and then you're presented with it and you're like oh well now I know better so I can't really be entertained by it and if I am entertained by it then what does that say about me and I think it made people question their morality 
And once you release a film like that, that kind of has that like new concept, you're never going to be able to have that experience again. So I think that's why, you know, it's so different and it's so set apart from everything else that predated or came after. You know what else I just thought of was that I'm wondering if able-bodied people were frightened by like the actual lives of these people. Mm -hmm. And I think that they might have been, what's the word? They might have been uh, threatened by the fact that they can do everyday normal activities as well as have sexual and very homely lives Mm -hmm. that they can have. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that sort of turned people off because it was like, oh, just because I am able-bodied doesn't mean that I am better. Right. And by seeing people who are disabled lead the exact same life as they do, I think might have like kind of made people frightened about life rather than death. Like Mm -hmm. the idea of being able to still live even if your legs don't work or if your arms don't work or if you can't see or whatever. The fact that that is still possible is almost as scary as just dying, I think, for some able-bodied people. Not for all, but I think during this time, I think that's what people were like, oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely. I can still survive, and I don't know if I feel okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that people did feel the way. I just thought that that was like maybe an interesting observation, is that maybe that's why people were like, oh, about this film. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) whoa uh yeah people are ignorant man yeah they are (laughs) what an interesting film though and what an interesting conversation that you can have after seeing it like and for me this was my first time watching it all the way through Mm -hmm. and I'm sad that I hadn't seen it before this because I mean it's it's got its hand in so many other films and it's super influential. And I mean, it inspired an entire season of American Horror Story, too. Yeah, which we don't have time to talk about, but no. I'm sure you've all seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're wondering where that idea came from, freaks. Mm-hmm. So a lot um, of characters are based. You Obviously, like you'll notice when you watch Freaks, almost every character in Freak Show was based off of a main character in Freaks. Yeah, but I love it because it, makes you think and even if you are trying to be an ally to people and you're trying to stay quote-unquote woke (laughs) Mm -hmm, yeah like I highly recommend watching this movie there's a lot of representation in it and even being as old as it is it's still relevant today and it's also good to sort of take a step back and be like okay Not all of these actors were very happy with this film. Mm -hmm. And to sort of like, okay, so like for one, uh, Johnny X, who plays the the half boy is what his character's name is, where he walks on his hands. He actually really enjoyed working on this film. Mm -hmm. But then we talked about um, Olga Roderick, who the bearded lady who hated it and thought it was the complete opposite thing. Yeah. So it's good to watch it and to sort of think, okay, some people really enjoyed this film and some people really hated it. Uh. And the Irish Times actually said over 80 years after its release, it has failed to become even the tiniest bit respectable. Yeah. And that's a feat worth savoring. (laughs) Yeah. And I do want to end on a quote. Uh, I know this episode is kind of long, guys. So thank you for holding on in there. But this is the last episode of our season. So I do want to end on this quote. Uh, Diane Arbus, a photographer from the 60s, Uh, She's actually considered to be the true heir to Browning's work because she was very inspired by this film to then take portraits of people with disabilities. Hmm. And she has a very interesting look on this film because she was an able-bodied woman. And she said that monsters were everywhere, that the whole of modern life could be viewed as a tawdry sideshow driven by dreams and terrors of alienation mutilation actual death and its everyday variations america it seemed was nothing but a monster show and there's more about her and david skull's the monster show which is a very good book about horror movies so that was her take as an able-bodied person Mm -hmm. as a counter quote 
Carrie Sandall notes in her article about disability and freaks, people with disabilities find it especially frustrating when other marginalized groups use disability metaphors to signify their own otherness without any accompanying consideration of actual people with disabilities. Whether used as a negative or positive metaphor, the use of disability tends to erase the particularities of lived disability experiences. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, with that said, guys, what do you think of those two quotes? What did you think <laughs> of Freaks? Let us know. It's a good film. It's only an hour long. You can uh, you can actually find some free versions of it on YouTube. <laughs> Otherwise, it's only like 2 or $3 to purchase on YouTube to rent. So yeah. definitely check it out. It's so worth it. Yeah. Wow, this is the end of season three. Holy crap. <laughs> it's the end of season three. What a wild ride. Yeah, you guys... Thank you so much for joining us for this final episode of season three. Yes. And thank you for joining us all season if you've been with us. And I want to say time flies when you're having fun. But I feel like with the context of the show, I should say time dies when you're having fun. Wow. But it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> it was um, a valiant effort that you put forth gracie thank you (laughs) so guys thank you so much and thank you so much to all of our patrons especially our ellen ripley patrons james and jarvis for being super cool all season long Mm -hmm. if you'd also like to support us financially just one or two dollars a month is extremely helpful head on over to patreon.com slash good morning nancy and pick your favorite final girl and we also want to say thank you to our sponsors at Recess Coffee for supporting us and believing in us this season. They're so incredibly awesome. No joke. We love Recess Coffee. Abby and I do both drink it every day. That is our coffee of choice. So Heck yeah. definitely go to recesscoffee.com and order some today. Uh, we also want to thank uh, our composer, Lily LeBlanc, for writing our very sweet and haunting theme song, and Dalton Dobson for taking amazing photos of us that don't make us look dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it can be hard, so thanks, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> Links to both of their websites are in our show notes. Uh, and like always, we'll be taking a little break between seasons, but don't you worry, we'll be back stronger than ever with another Good Morning Nancy special episode to top off season four. Mm-hmm. And if you want to stay hooked on our social media, that'd be great because we have lots of details there. Lots of deets. <laughs> I'm a cool kid. Oh my oh God. No, stop oh. me now. So uh, head on over to Facebook uh, at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. We love you guys forever. We love you guys to death. (laughs) Have a great morning. Bye.